This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify, the global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. There's so much going on and yet nothing going on. Have you gotten that sense? Like there's all, there's all this news about the Johnson & Johnson vaccine, which by the way is great news. That vaccine actually gets better the longer from the single shot that you get, it seems to generate more robust immunity. It's really the perfect third vaccine because it's significantly different enough from the first two, but they're all effective. So get the vaccine that's available for you. And it's just great. It means, again, we're looking at the end of this pandemic straight in the eyes. Um, you know, maybe it's a little too soon to start throwing the masks off and burning the, the mask bras just yet. But then again, it just really depends on what your risk is, where you live, what's the community spread in your area. But I think by summer, we're gonna start to see a very rapid opening up. I mean, very rapid. If everything proceeds, we keep vaccinating people. I'm already like 15, 17% something of the American population has gotten at least one dose of one of the vaccines. That's huge. Combine that with the natural immunity that's generated from previous infection. And yeah, there are variants. And yeah, there may be a little less uh, effective again with the vaccine, but still preventing severe disease, 85% in the J&J trial against the Brazilian variant of severe disease and like almost pretty much no deaths. Isn't that what you care about when you're looking at vaccines? I mean, I don't mind getting a cold or a flu. I mind being hospitalized, dying, or having some long haul syndrome. And I think increasingly we're gonna see these vaccines are gonna be our relief valve. They're gonna be our way out of this in a way that social distancing and masking and all that just wasn't able to do because you can't do it in a draconian enough way when there's already so much community spread. If you're New Zealand, you can do it. If you're Iceland, you can do it because you have a controlled geography with a patient population and low case load in the beginning. But like in the US, it's just, it's, the, it's already everywhere. And it's just very hard because the messaging's been all screwed up. All the videos we've been doing have been talking about that. Um, Love, Peace, and Harmony is our first uh, big comment with $2 on YouTube as a super chat and says, the universe is being created consciously. All right, well, I, there was a time when I would have laughed at that statement and said, you're crazy. And I actually agree 100%. Um, the, 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 the universe doesn't create consciousness. Consciousness is the primary thing. And the universe is what consciousness sees when it looks at more consciousness. It's all experience. Like, I don't understand how we got confused that like the smell of a rose or the taste of chocolate was an artifact of our mechanical brain when in fact, those are the real things. And our mechanical brain is what localized consciousness looks like to itself. But that's another talk. But thanks for derailing me instantly. Um, Michelle Bray, when is it safe for a person taking the AstraZeneca DNA vaccine to take the mRNA version that is long acting? So I think you're asking me if you've had the DNA vaccine or the, the AstraZeneca vaccine, which is a chimpanzee adenovirus vector vaccine, when are you then safe to take the mRNA vaccine? Well, my answer is you shouldn't have to. 
the AstraZeneca vaccine is um, is very effective, especially against severe disease. And there's no real reason to then get a second vaccination with the mRNA vaccines. So I would say there's not a reason to do that. Um, and honestly, there's a lot of this sort of misinformation around, meaning the way that the press has kind of skinned it, around like, oh, one vaccine is inferior to another, is inferior to another, is these mRNA vaccines are the best. Dude, they all work really good against severe disease, which is what you care about. Some have advantages, like the J&J vaccine doesn't need severe refrigeration and it's one dose. Hello, that's pretty awesome. I wanna thank people who are sending me tip jar on PayPal. Uh, Li Ting Huang says, celebrating single dose vaccine. Pop, pop, I'm right back at you, thank you. And um, Claire Lawler says, starting the month off optimistically. Yeah, this is the this is the greatest. We're we're barreling into spring. The weather's going to warm up. The viral transmission's going to drop. Yeah, you're going to hear about variants, and you're going to hear CDC saying we're plateauing. You're going to hear, but but the truth is, as we exponentially vaccinate more and more and more people, there's there you're going to generate community immunity. There's going to be less targets for the vac for the virus to replicate, and we're going to open up, wake up. And by the way, you know, I still hear from counties and places that they're like, well, we don't have a plan for opening schools yet. Well, you better get one like yesterday because we're gonna look back on school closures and be like, yeah, that was a mistake. Why did we do that? Um, now it's very hard to open schools when community spread is so rampant because the fear factor, because teachers are gonna get infected in the community and then they're gonna say, well, was it the students? And what's going on? Kids, kids will test positive because when you test them, they'll test positive because they may get infected, but they're not gonna get very ill, most of them. And you know, coronavirus has killed roughly a little bit more than the number of kids that would die in a normal flu season, but there's no flu. So it's offset by the fact that flu's completely gone. And the reason flu's gone is multifactorial. We don't know the single answer. It's probably all these things. The fact that we close down international travel, the fact that we close schools, because guess what? Schools is a are a vector for flu. Because unlike coronavirus, flu is like just rampant in children and it kills and injures children at a very high rate. The very young and the very old are flu's favorite targets, right? And so closing the schools, the masking, the social distancing, that stuff probably did not hurt at all. But it's really, I think, it's international travel, closing the schools, and then viral competition from COVID, which I've done a video on. I think those are the top three. And then you have the masking, the social distancing, all that. But again, we don't know because it's very hard to study. It's very hard to look at. I could be completely wrong. And that would be fun if I'm completely wrong, then I'd love to see data that shows that I'm wrong, right? Like in the early days, I was saying, well, I think this is, you know, talking to some experts, I think this thing is spread mostly um, through droplet, like local droplet and surfaces and touching eyes and that kind of thing, fomitic spread like a norovirus or something. And that turns out not to be true. So then the data comes out and you're like, oh no, no, I was wrong. Great, I was wrong. I don't know that anything I recommended at the time would have been different with the exception of I would have been aggressive about masks. And said, I was like, I think masks for the public are just gonna cause people to touch their face more. And there isn't good data for it, except for the precautionary principle, which says, well, you know, it's not gonna harm people. But I was like, well, maybe it will, right? Well, but that's what the discourse is. You get new data, you update. Now, like right now, there's no good data for mass outdoors, but we still are recommending it. I don't even think precautionary principle is enough to recommend mass outdoors while hiking or on the beach or something like that. If you can't distance and you're stuck together for long periods of time, then yeah, that's something to talk about. But really, you know, I just don't think, you know, and people are like, well, you're just triggered because you can't hike without a mask. And I'm like, yeah, I am. Because 
it it literally stops me from going hiking because I go, God, I really want to hike today. It's a beautiful day. There's a sign there that says well, you got to wear a mask at all times on a trail. And I'm like, well, that sucks because that's not how I go. That's not why I go into nature. I go into nature to be one with nature. And I don't feel that way with a mask. Now, that's just me. But if it's enough to dissuade me from getting out, where by the way, you are safest from COVID, it's much worse that we've been telling people stay inside and stay home because then that's where poor ventilation, close quarters, right? Prolonged exposures, they happen inside. That's why households, it rips through households. And remember that this disease is over dispersed. And that just simply means that very few people, super spreaders, hyper emitters, tend to cause most of the disease. And that almost always happens inside, right? A lot of people don't transmit COVID at all, or they transmit to like one other person. It's like very, very minimal. But these hyper emitters, just for some reason, they shed a lot of virus. And then you put them in a room with a bunch of other people with no ventilation, even with masks and all that, that's not gonna be enough. Um, so you gotta work on all the pieces to make it as safe for as many people as you can without destroying society, which means you're not gonna have perfect safety. You're not gonna have 100% because that's a culture of safetyism that will get you nowhere. Allison, thank you for the thousand stars on Facebook. For people who don't know what stars are on Facebook, they're like a tip jar on it, on Facebook. I get like a penny per star and we put it into all this gear that you see. By the way, it's really funny. So I just did an all hands meeting for Zappos, which um, was a company uh, uh, CEO'd by my late friend, Tony Shea, who is just, that's a whole nother talk. Um, but it was a Q and A about COVID and they had great questions. A lot of the same questions you're probably asking in the comments. And have, sitting down, having a rational discussion is so much better for people than the crazy media doom bait headlines and crazy talk. Um, so let's look at some of your questions here. Um, and it may take me a second to narrow some of these down. Could the increase in symptomatic cases in the first eight or nine days after the first dose be due to otherwise asymptomatic COVID plus vaccine symptoms being classified as symptomatic cases, Jim Baker? That's a great question. And that's a, that's a methodology question of the trials. So in other words, if you have a few symptomatic cases, maybe you're misinterpreting vaccine symptoms and then you would have been asymptomatically infected anyways. But I don't know that it's gonna make a big difference in the long run. I think the big, the big issue is, are people dying? Are they being hospitalized? Do they have severe disease? We can't, it's very hard to study like long haul symptoms, like the brain fog and all of that. But I think, um, you know, I think the vaccines have been extraordinarily effective in that. And you look at the Israeli data too, it's really good. I mean, this is, this is great news, you guys. <laughs> like, and I was really skeptical about these vaccines. I didn't think we'd get to this point. It's crazy. Even Fauci was like, I don't know, a year and a half, maybe we'll have something. I mean, and part of the reason I was so upset early on about how hard people were trying to bend the curve is I was like, to what end? If we never get to a vaccine, if there's never an effective vaccine, then we're bending the curve for no reason. Everybody's gonna be infected eventually. The only, you only wanna bend the curve under the threshold of where hospitals get overwhelmed. Otherwise, if everyone's gonna be infected, then don't destroy the economy, don't destroy schools. People can get infected at a slower rate. But now that we have a vaccine, that's a tough sell because now you have a, now this is a preventable disease, which means you want, if you're at high risk, you wanna prevent yourself from being infected until you get that vaccine. It changes, you see how new data, new science, new emergence change 
the calculation. It's not a single static thing, and it's also not a one-size-fits-all. It depends on your own risk and your own um, um, calculation of it. Sarah Moore sent me 20 bucks on YouTube. Dr. Z, did you see Dr. Offit's thing on CNN where he said we should wear masks forever during flu season? Was that taken out of context? So disappointing. I think I saw him on your show and he was so great. Okay, let me comment on this. I didn't watch the clip, but I'll say this. I know Paul very well and I know his um, his take on this. Um, what I suspect he meant, and he said this on my show, is wouldn't it be great if during severe respiratory illness seasons, like we have a bad flu season, bad RSV, something like that, even coughs and colds, if people voluntarily would just mask up when they go in a grocery store or something or in these sort of dense environments, because you would, like we've seen with flu, if that's a component of what flu is, you guys know that I'm more biased towards the other things, um, could it be that we just have much less morbidity, sickness, missed work, mortality, people who die of flu, during those seasons. And I don't think that's unreasonable to say. I think the way people are pulling him out of context is saying, oh, see, it's mask creep, it's safety creep. If masks are good here, then maybe we should wear masks forever. I think a lot of Americans have had it with masks, but then a lot of Americans are like, you know what, this isn't that bad. And we've reconditioned ourselves to say, okay, we've been a bad flu season, maybe I'll throw a mask on. And it's no longer a stigma. It's no longer like you're sick walking around with a mask, because that's how it was. Like, I mean, I felt the stigma early on wearing masks. I'm like, why am I not in the OR? Like, this is weird. Um, and I didn't like it. And I, it, st it still bothers me a little bit, but I have, I'm so used to wearing masks now. Like, so I get it. And, and I understand why people would be upset with him for that because again, it's safety creep. You worry about safety creep, like this idea of safetyism, like, well, well a little bit. And there are those who feel on the more libertarian wing of the side of moral matrix that all of this is about control and it's not about safety. It's about controlling the public. But honestly, why would you want to control people and forcing them to wear masks. It's kind of like, that's the most boring form of control you can imagine. Now, having to be compliant and all that, you could argue it's a slippery slope, et cetera, but I don't know. I don't care so much about that. I just care about, okay, what's gonna do the most good for the most number of people and cause the least harm? And masks are not without harm in the sense that people who are deaf can't read lips, the facial expressions are damaged, our socialization is damaged, 100% damaged. Let's not lie. It's like Zoom. Like, do we really think Zoom is a is a replacement even for a phone call? Like a phone call is so much better, a phone call with no delay. So not one of these weird cell phone to cell phone calls where it's, um, there's a slight delay so you, you can't talk over each other properly. There's just enough delay that you talk over each other inadvertently. But more like a real time conversation on a phone is vastly better than what Zoom does. Because what Zoom does, it forces you to stare in my eyes the whole time, which is unnatural. You have to read body language, but there's not enough cues there that are subtle and three-dimensional, auditory, visual, even smell cues that, you know, it's taxing. It's taxing on the human psyche. And the audio is shitty, and there's a delay so that you can't have a real-time give and take. That's a killer for interaction. So. You know, masks are similar in that they affect this. You can't see my facial expressions. Can't read my lips if you're hard of hearing. You feel less connected to others. So there's a downside to it. Um, but, you know, you have to weigh the risks and the benefits. What are the benefits? Um, thank you, Lisa Percy, for the tip jar, 20 bucks I on PayPal. I see you didn't get derailed by my magnetic pole shift comment. Anyways, I'm waiting patiently for any of the vaccines. Um, 
CAD plus other risk factors concern me. Yeah, so if you have coronary disease, it's a risk factor. Sue sent me 30 bucks on PayPal. Thank you. Brian Young sent me five bucks. You guys are the best. Um, and everybody sending stars on Facebook and Super Chat. Let me take a look at the Super Chats on um, YouTube to make sure I didn't miss anyone. Catherine Obergon, um, Love, Peace, and Harmony, says the only thing that will help calm people down is news. Well, is that true though? Depends on where you're getting that news. So if you're watching the news, meaning any media, I don't care what it is politically, you're going to be miserable <laughs> because it's designed, it's designed that way. It's gaming human psychology. You get more views, more clicks with a doom bait negative spin than you do with positivity. And that's terrible. What if hope sold? I think we would have been much happier, much better off. Look at this idiot, Destiny Amity on Facebook. Work from home, earn 1200 daily. Really, I wonder if I can ban you like this. Let me see. That, and this is fun, I love banning people. Hide comment and ban spammer. Um, I now, by the way, um, have someone from my team curate some of the comments on Facebook after the fact. So if I do a video, used to be I'd let all the comments ride and you know none of it bothered me and just let it go. But now it's becoming so distracting on Facebook. Like Facebook is such a mess that um, I've just had her go through and, and delete the egregious ones and ban them. So if you're like a hardcore anti-vaxxer or some conspiracy lunatic and you're just there to cause trouble, you just don't get to do it anymore, which makes it a little more fun a space for people who care about stuff that don't suck, that are a little more alt-middle. Um, Let's see, I was on a flight and there was a family who was wearing a mask with a respirator over it, Brad uh, Spingarn. I think people have lost their minds. I've seen stuff that's just crazy, you know? And some people, you gotta understand, some people psychologically are germaphobes and this has just weaponized them because now their anxiety is through the roof, you know? Because uh, imagine, you know, you're hearing in the media all the time, oh, you can get this, you can have long haul COVID, you can get blood clots, you can die and this and that. And all that may be true at a low risk level, but they don't parse risk correctly. They have a, a proximity bias or they heard this on the news, negativity bias, fear bias, all these cognitive biases, and they're a germaphobe. So now it's like, they're basically Doc Vader walking around with a full papper, right? Alex M on YouTube, uh, Super Chat says, hey Z, what do you think about people getting infected twice? Has this been happening a lot or does it look like these are generally outliers, thanks? You know, this is, okay, this is another thing. How does the immune system work? Okay, you get COVID once, all right. Now COVID's all over the community. You're re-exposed, maybe to a slightly different variant, maybe to the same thing, and you get either mild symptoms again, or you're just tested, like for screening for something, and you test positive. What does that mean? It means your immune system's working. It means the first time you generated an immune response, you have a memory to it. The second time you get infected, maybe you get a few symptoms. Some of that's your immune response, right? Because those of us who've had the vaccine, that man flu that you can get, that's your immune system. It's not the, it's not a virus, it's the immune system itself. So you probably have some of that and you're gonna test positive because there's some that's a very sensitive test and you've got some viral replication, but you don't end up in the hospital. You don't end up debilitated. Um, and you probably aren't even that contagious, although that would have to be documented. Now, are there cases where there is a failure of immunity because people don't generate proper immunity? Sure. And they get sicker the second time? Sure, that's possible. Is it likely? No. Should we be planning public policy around it? Absolutely not. That's an example of where the precautionary principle where you're like, well, you know what? Just to be safe, we should do this, even though we don't quite have data on it yet. Okay, that's where the precautionary principle goes wrong because it causes harm. 
You're enacting policies that are insane. Brandon Sargent says, uh, sent me 20 bucks a uh, super chat on YouTube. How long until how long until deaths per day in the US will reflect how low confirmed cases per day are? 2000 plus per day is still high. Lastly, glad to get my second Pfizer dose tomorrow and thanks for being a voice of reason. Okay, so the, the deaths lag by two to four weeks, the cases. So it's gonna be that sort of time frame before we see the deaths really come down. Um, just like it took them a while to come up. Remember, we had a case-demic for a while, and then the, the deaths started to really rise. And then, you know, what happens is when you overwhelm hospitals, deaths rise more. So some of that is just, you know, you're not able to provide care. You're, you know, like in LA where they were, ambulances were circling for six hours because they couldn't find a place for with a bed. That's why you try to bend the curve in the first place, right? Now, some of that may be due to California variant circulating that's a little more sticky, but we don't know yet. We're just not not um, not clear. Now, this is interesting. So uh, Terry um, Siemens Weber says, do you agree with what's going on in Israel? They're allowing people who are vaccinated into the public square, but not people unvaccinated. Seems very discriminatory. Yeah, and in fact, there were some protests in Israel where uh, people were making the comparison, which again, you can only do this if you're Israeli, because uh, if Gina Carano does it on Twitter, she gets uh, uh, fired. Um, they said, you know, how is this any different than a tattoo saying you're in a concentration camp? You know, it's like a, a vaccine passport, you know, it's like, and so I, I'm a, f a couple minds on this because it affects, it's not so much the science, it affects our moral matrix on how we believe um, people should be treated and liberty versus oppression versus the palette of care versus harm. So liberty versus oppression says, I don't need to tell you what I've done and I don't need to, get a vaccine to go out in public because that's my right. Care versus harm says, well, if you've been vaccinated, you're very unlikely to catch or even transmit this. And if you're around other vaccinated people, then you can pretty much open up. And I believe that's actually true. Um, so why don't we allow people to have the reward for being vaccinated? Now the problem, with, now in Israel, they can vaccinate a lot of people. Like their vast majority of the population can be vaccinated quickly. So maybe that's fair to do because there isn't the discrimination of I can't get the vaccine. Because in the US, you, you try getting it if you're not in a high-risk group. And even if you are in a high-risk group, there's not enough supply. So then it becomes a discriminatory practice. But if you're saying, look, there are these uh, restrictions in place on say indoor dining, Marty McCary made the case in the Wall Street Journal that, well, restaurants should be allowed to open up for only vaccinated customers at certain hours where they don't have to wear masks and they can have full indoor without any restriction. And I was like, intriguing. Is it discriminatory? Yeah. So you have to weigh all that. And it just depends on where it hits you in, in the moral gut, right? I mean, I, I don't know where I stand on that because I feel I, I have an advanced sense of um, a moral matrix of fairness versus cheating. And I worry that people who got the vaccine through, you know, means that, you know, they just happen to be a healthcare professional or they cheated like these executives families that one medical apparently did where they're getting it early. And um, then they get to go to a restaurant and enjoy life. And people who are still waiting desperately want the vaccine can't, that's just not fair, right? But then again, you think about the restaurants, they could pack a restaurant with, and that was Marty's argument. You could pack a restaurant with patrons that are vaccinated and save that restaurant economically. So you, there's no black and white here. It's so nuanced, right? And I think if you, if you can't see the nuance in it, then my goal is to help you try to see the nuance in it. And then you can make a decision where you stand, right? Instead of just knee jerking based on what your unconscious is 
saying, or what you've been, you've been in some echo chamber, right? You know, that where everybody thinks the same. Kenneth Myers uh, super chatted me on YouTube. Have you seen the studies about um, clear nasal sprays, xylitol plus grapefruit seed extract? Some small studies show that it reduces or prevents infection. So actually the clear guys have been on my show as a sponsored episode years ago. Um, Nate, um, Nate Dog was on the show talking about the same xylitol nasal spray for sinus infections. Now I've looked at some of the data, it's still observational data, it's not randomized data. There's a lot, you know, I, I couldn't come out and say that's a thing without more data. Now, is there harm to doing it? Probably not. Um, so, you know, keep an eye on the data for that. And you know, Nate's a good guy. I think his product seems to make people happy, but I can't in good conscience say scientifically that I'm convinced that anything that I've seen short of like uh, dexa, dexamethasone has had a massive effect on coronavirus. It's hard to study, let's be honest. Especially as the cases come down, we're gonna make it even harder to study. Ultranaut asks, why does my toe hurt? Have a good day. Because it hurts. It's a very existential toe you have. William Higgins says, Zubin, can we work on a message where masks are encouraged as they are in Asian countries when individuals are ill? It might have an effect limiting spread. So that to me is a no brainer. I think if you're sick, like in Japan, like I was watching this anime show on Netflix, one of my favorite little animes I watch with my kids called Psyche K about a psychic boy. It's really, really funny, really funny show. Um, I was watching it on Netflix and it's funny, there's an episode where he gets, a, he gets ill and suddenly he's wearing a mask to school. This is pre-pandemic. So he's wearing a mask to school and it was just accepted. And everyone was like, oh, Psyche, are you feeling okay? How are you doing? Get better quick. It's a cultural shift. If you're sick, put a mask on so you don't make other people sick. It's kind of awesome. I don't see any problem with that. You know, we could learn a lot from that cultural shift, I think. Now, Americans are such assholes that we'd just be like, fuck you, you're gonna get sick too then. Sorry, sorry I cursed, but sometimes I do that. Um, uh, let's see. Let's look at Facebook for a second here. Um, where are we at? Thanks for the stars, Rindy. Um, and thank you, Christy Columbus, for sharing my PayPal link. Uh, let's see. How long after second dose, says Kalman, if I need to take a, ah, damn it. And then it scrolled out of my ability to look at it. You know, I'll never understand what is going on with Facebook. Hang on, I'm gonna try something else here while we're talking. Well, I'll look at YouTube while I'm looking at it. Um, Cause I think Facebook has a new thing here where you can look at your live, um, your live comments on a different page. Couch says, thank you for being the voice of reason. Love you, brother. Thank you. Um, I'm sorry, William, did I miss your super chat question? Let me look back. Oh no, I got it. Oh no, no, can we? Yeah, no, no, I answered it. Oh, and the answer, William is um, yes, we should. <laughs> that was the punchline. Did you step away while I said it? Um, all right, let me see here if I can find uh, where this is, and then I can get to some Facebook uh, questions. Victor Moore on YouTube says, thanks for reassuring me that I had, if I get my second Moderna shot more than 28 days out, I would be fine. Finally got my appointment for tomorrow and the second shot, kudos from Tokyo. Yeah, I don't think we should obsess with like how many days I think, you know, if you get it in a reasonable time frame, you're gonna be okay. Because um, I, I think, you know, again, you really just have to look at the fact that, you know, we have limited data on this stuff. Um, okay, I can't figure this out at all. I have no idea. Maybe it's an insights 
Should be in public. Oh, Creator Studio. That's where it is. Hang on. Sorry, guys. I'm learning Facebook as we go. They change. I've been really annoyed with Facebook, by the way. They've been really annoying about ads on videos and and blanket uh, uh, censoring content that they think is misinformation when it's not. They actually censored Marty McCary's Wall Street Journal article where it was an op-ed where he said, I think there's gonna be herd immunity by April based on this data. What's wrong with that op-ed? If he's wrong, that's fine. I don't think it's misinformation. It's sincerely um, presented a scientific opinion. Um, Hyo Young Yu says on, on PayPal, oh, never mind. He wants to be anonymous. So <laughs> now he says that. So I can't, uh, I can't read his comment. Um, all right, never mind. Got to be careful. I don't want to, I don't want to injure people here. Okay. Creative tools, live dashboard. And then I click over here. Let's see if this works. Stupid thing. God, Facebook. Um, how, I don't even know what they've done here. There it is, live dashboard. Okay, so now I should be able to see, okay. And then where are the comments? Can I see this? Let's see, latest comments. Okay, here we go, sorry guys. Okay, maybe this works. I doubt it. Um, I'm betting the question was, how long after the second dose can we take some pain reliever? Says Tanya uh, Anguser on Facebook. In assuming I'm uh, cold, I'm, ass I'm assuming I'm cold and tired and sore because on day five of an 18 day stretch at work, not because I had my second dose of Moderna on Tuesday. No, it's because you had your second dose. <laughs> and this is, what I, this is what I think. I don't think we have good data on this, but this is what I think. I think I would avoid Advil as much as you can in the setting of vaccine because it's a little more of an immunosuppressant. You want your immune response to be strong. Tylenol, I think I wouldn't necessarily pre-treat people. I would treat if you're having symptoms and you're like, this is really not, I'm not able to function properly, take some Tylenol. And that's what I did about 30 hours into it because I was incapacitated by headache. I couldn't function. And I'm like, okay, I'm gonna take a gram of Tylenol. And I did and everything got better. I went to bed, I woke up, I had no problems at all. And I think by then I'd already had the immune response I want. Um, Brandon Sargent says, what studies or pieces of data are you most looking forward to coming out about the virus vaccines treatments and why? I'd love to see data, oh, that's a great question. I'd love to see data on long-term immunogenicity of these vaccines. I'd love to see more data on variants in terms of actual outcomes like hospitalization and death, because that's all we care about. Um, I'd like to see the two-dose data on the Johnson & Johnson trial. So what happens when you give a second dose? Is it better? I'd like to see the data on Johnson & Johnson months out because there seemed to be evidence that it actually, immun immunity improves the longer out you are so far what they've tested. Now, there's gonna be a limit to that um, for Johnson & Johnson. Um, I would love to see um, bigger picture data on the effect of school closures and our response to uh, coronavirus pandemic on actual health outcomes like substance abuse, depression, mental health, domestic abuse. Those are things that I would love to see. Um, I'm sitting a little far back, aren't I? Am I even in focus? Let me sit up a little bit. I just noticed on my monitor that I'm, I'm moody. Look at me. Look how moody I am, guys, and out of focus. Oh, you know why? Shit, I turned off the autofocus on this thing. God, I'm such an idiot. There's you guys have to understand this, to run the show myself, because there's nobody here because of pandemic, I have to click about a trillion different checklists and I always miss something. Let me turn the autofocus back on, watch this. 
Nope, it doesn't work. Hold on, continuous. There it is. Now watch. Now when I sit back, I'm in focus. Not that anybody cares because they're all watching on tiny screens. God damn it. Sometimes I hate my life, but nobody nobody cares. Um, these are my problems. These are my first world problems, guys. By the way, so the, the point was I did the Zappos um, all hands and uh, I use this rig. So you have you have like all these people on Zoom, it's, you know, a remote all hands meeting. Normally it's done at like, you know, the Smith Center in Las Vegas is a big event, you know, a thousand people there. And um, instead they're all virtual. And so everybody who's speaking is on some like little, you know, Zoomy kind of crappy little webcam with a little mic and so on. And then I show up looking like this and everybody thinks it's pre-recorded. They're like, oh, what is that? What the heck? They don't realize like, this is like a massive setup that can also be streamed by Zoom. <laughs> so yeah, I, it's a little off-putting. Um, yeah, we all hate our lives, Pilar Hernandez. Isn't it true? Actually, um, I gotta say I love my life. And I'll say why, because I have wonderful family, good friends, and I get to interact with you guys. I get to interact with you guys on the level that I am comfortable doing it. So get philosophical for a second. I don't like people that much in my face. I really don't. I, I don't like um, mentoring people individually one-on-one. I don't like um, uh, people in my, you know, up in my face all the time. I don't like parties. I, I, I just don't like those things. I'm a little bit of an ambivert that way. I, but I love connecting with people as a teacher in a scenario like this. And so I'm very happy because I get to do that. And you guys allow me to make a living doing it because you support the show as a supporter on YouTube, Facebook, locals, by PayPal, by Super Chat. And that's a blessing and I'm deeply grateful to you guys. So as much as I love to complain, oh, my life sucks and oh, my focus is off, I am so grateful. And I think focusing on gratitude in our lives is a, it's, it's a medicine. It, everything gets better when you focus on what you have and what you've been given instead of what you don't have and what you want. Um, it, it, it really is. Um, Carlina Cole says, you aren't a teacher. Well then, I guess I'm not a teacher because Carlina says so. Uh, Carlina Cole says, tax that money. They do, Carlina. Come on, bring me more troll, Cole. Um, sketchy, oh really, hey, nope. Flip the script, those, those are the best comments she could come up with. I love trolls. Christine Dalton says, please, 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 your opinion on who shouldn't, wouldn't qualify for vaccine. This is what I think. We ought to be broadening it to every single person who the, the EUA covers, the emergency use authorization covers already. We just don't have enough vaccines, so it ought to be elderly people, people with any chronic disease, people who are obese, certain BMI, um, you know, if you look at who are the most at risk based on Marty's study that hasn't been published yet, it's in MedArchive, sickle cell patients are number one for mortality if they get COVID. Dialysis patients, people with chronic kidney disease, and then anybody who's had leukemia or, or those sort of blood cancers are at very high risk. And then all the other stuff like, you know, congestive heart failure, diabetes, et cetera. Um, those things put you at high risk. So those people should be prioritized. And then of course, essential workers. So frontline healthcare workers. I actually think teachers should get vaccinated if only to shut up the unions so they'll get back to work. I mean, 
if I'm really betraying my feelings on this right now, I'm so frustrated and I understand where the teachers are coming from that are nervous and scared because we've instilled fear in all of them. They are more likely to get COVID in the community that probably than they are in school. The data is pretty compelling now. And we're seeing probably, we're going to see real harm from the shutdowns. So you're an essential worker if you're a teacher. Get vaccinated, get back into in-person learning. And I know why you gotta have a union, you're underpaid and overworked, all that's true, great, wonderful. Don't weaponize your union to, to get out of in-person learning, don't. And, and I understand, okay, they're not giving you support, et cetera, no, no, they should give you N95 masks if you want them, or double masks and a vaccine. They, they really should. Now, I don't think a vaccine is necessary to come back, I really don't, um, because if you mask, the, again, the transmission schools, we should never have closed schools for so long as we did. Um, this is me editorializing based on data and based on experts that I've talked to that I believe, because I think they've done their research very deeply, much more deeply than I'm capable of doing. And um, and and I, I think we ought to really uh, uh, focus on that. Okay, so <sighs> some of these questions on YouTube. We are destroying our children, Catherine. I think we are. I really don't. I might, you know, it's not good at all. You know, um, Jim Baker says, "Hey, uh, great to have uh, the live session and the answers. It's fun for me. I love this stuff. I could do it all day, even with the trolls." Um, for the love of karaoke, uh, oh, oh, Sarah Chalk is a supporter. We do this uh, karaoke occasionally, where people shout out songs, and then I put on headphones so I can listen to the backing track, so it doesn't trigger um, copyright, and then I sing terrible karaoke to whatever it is you asked me to do. So if you guys are good, we'll, we'll do one, but probably not. Um, do you think that one's response to the vaccines is predictive of how one might've responded to a uh, COVID infection? It's a great question, um, Nate Placencia. We don't know the answer to that, but I think there's plenty of reason to believe that you would have had more symptoms if you have more symptoms with the vaccine because the same spike protein, right? Just purified, but there's also, but there's a twist. The and this is important. The twist is that the vaccine has an adjuvant in it. An adjuvant meaning the the lipid nanoparticle that encases the vaccine acts as and the mRNA itself in the mRNA vaccine. Let's just take mRNA vaccine for a second. The 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 mRNA itself acts as a um, immune stimulant because it's foreign. So immune system for some of the particles that release mRNA early, it stimulates immune system. And that, along with the lipid nanoparticle, can cause some of that, you know, the fatigue and the fevers and the rigors, and the, because it's your innate immune system, the sort of broad frontline defense to fire up, which is good. You want that in the setting of um, uh, trying to create a memory response to the, to the virus. But the virus itself may not have as profound a response initially. So that's the distinction. Sometimes the, the vaccine might be more reactogenic, meaning you get more of those symptoms than the real virus. So we, I think it's not clear what the answer to that is based on that equivocation of the science. Um, great question though. What the hell's going on with this? Okay, let's keep going, why not? There's still like 1,500 people on, uh, <laughs> I don't know how, how that happens on, on, on Facebook watching and I don't know how many on, oh, 836 on YouTube. That's kind of a big deal. Thanks, you guys. Um, Luke Minoski says, when do you think we'll be mostly back to normal? Man, if I could answer that question, I'd be, you know, let's just say this. 
when I'm timing like how to invest and those kind of things, man, I tell you from day one, I was like, oh, this is a good investment opportunity because we're gonna be back sooner than people think. And they're like, oh, it'll be a couple months, et cetera. Look, I, anything within the next, I, I, I suspect within six months, we're gonna see, and, and you guys call me on this when I'm proven wrong. In six months, I think we're gonna see massive opening. We're gonna see a vast drop in cases because you're gonna have immunity and warmth. And um, whether we get back to normal depends on what our political response is to it. So if we continue to cower in fear and, and, and uh, you know, fail to parse risk correctly, then I think we're gonna be closed for a while, like California, California, you know, with Comrade Newsom, I don't think we're ever gonna open up. But then the other extreme is Texas, which was like, you know, Abbott's like, you go girl. I mean, open up now. Now, I think both are a little extreme, uh, but time will tell which, which is correct. If Texas opens and we don't see any too much drama, then we could say, oh, they were right. If we see a bunch of drama, then we'll be like, huh. Now, previously when people opened up, this is the same conversation. People were like, well, okay. Things are cooling off at the end of the first surge. Everybody started opening up. We saw a surge and we never actually got down to levels that we could do contact tracing and suppression. We were only still in bad mitigation phase. And then the fall surge was really egregious because you're already starting at this high baseline level. So it's hard to know, right? Um, <laughs> how was Hawaii, Vanessa Faulkner? Oh, I'm glad you asked. So I did that show right before. So. For those who didn't see the show, we had a scheduled trip to Maui, me and my family. We haven't had a vacation like many in first world problems in um, like over a year, well over a year. And we'd planned this thing. Both me and my wife had had second vaccine and we're like 10, 14 days out from it. So we were pretty confident that we were good. And my kids are young and I don't worry about them. Nine and 13, they wear their masks when they're told to. They're pretty good about hand washing. I'm not worried about them dying of COVID. I mean, it could happen, but it's such a small risk that I want them to live their lives. So I said, okay, we've saved up all this money because we haven't gone on vacation. All this money, meaning whatever pittance that we'd save to go on vacation. And we booked this trip to Maui. Now, in order to get to Maui, the Hawaiian Islands have rules that you have to be tested within 72 hours of showing up. So of, of, of actually your departing leg of your flight. So it has to be within that 72 hours. It has to be negative. And it, it cannot, the test cannot come back after you land. It has to be before you depart on your last leg for the islands. If you don't, if none of those things happen or you test positive or you don't have a test, you have to quarantine for, I think it was uh, 14 days, 10 days, or the duration of your stay, whichever is shorter. And that makes that, you know, that done. You can't do that. So, and they make you download an app that tracks you and all this other crazy stuff. So. We were like, well, should we take this risk? We said, okay, yeah. So we used a company called Vault Health and Vault Health does uh, saliva-based PCR testing. And they, they, they advertise it, you, know, you mail it in, it's UPS same day, gets to them uh, next day, gets to them next day, they run it within 36 hours, but they expedite Hawaii trips. And so we said, okay, this should work. We did everything correctly. Vault was great to work with in the beginning there. And then the big winter storm hit. So, uh, Everything was shut down. You couldn't actually, um, you, the, the, the samples were stuck in Kentucky. They couldn't get to New Jersey where they're processed and our flight was coming up next day. And all my emails and everything to Vault were going unanswered. Panic phone calls, everything, messages left, nothing. 
So they were super communicative before that, and then suddenly you couldn't reach them. And I suspect they were getting a ton of calls and stuff. So that being said, we frantically looked for who would do it locally. No one could do it with the turnaround time. All the appointments were booked because everybody was in the same boat. And so we were like, we're not going to Hawaii. You know, and the kids were all like excited. They haven't been out in forever. They, they were excited actually about seeing other kids on the beach. So at that point, my wife was stressed. I was like, you know, I'm just gonna do a show ranting about how unhappy I am with how we've lost our minds about this stuff because two vaccinated people who do everything right get the testing and we can't go and it's costing Hawaii money, right? Because they're not getting the tourist revenue. We're staying in a decent hotel and all this. And um, ranted and raved on the show and expected not to go. That evening, got contacted by Vault, said that they were expediting the samples for, and I said, for everyone who's affected, not just because you saw the show, right? And they said, no, no, we're doing our best for everyone and so on. And, and so I said, okay, so like I think two in the morning of the day we're supposed to leave, we're supposed to leave at like 7.55. We got an email saying tests are negative. And we were like, through whatever was left in the bags, jammed to the airport, we're almost late, got on the flight. Everyone was wearing masks on the flight. It was a five hour flight. It was not a problem. People were behaved very, very well get to Maui, it was beautiful, open, empty, but not totally empty. In our hotel, the rules were, you got a mask in, in public spaces until you're at a pool or at the beach, which of course makes no sense, but we did it. Everybody was nice to each other, they were courteous, they put on masks when they were passing people, they tried their best, it was beautiful. And from a personal standpoint, it was so wonderful to get away from this shithole and I, and I say that with love, the Bay Area where I've been trapped, where we've all been kind of trapped where we are and go to a beautiful paradise where um, my kids could be out in nature. We took this hike in Haleakala. We went to the beach. We patronized every restaurant that we could and tipped like 50% tips on everything um, because we were so happy to support the local economy and so happy to be out and eating outdoors with an ocean view first world gratitude, my God, it was wonderful. And I realized during that trip that you can't keep us locked up. People will start to rebel because they're gonna see what they're missing. They're gonna realize that we've disrupted society. Let's get vaccinated, let's get herd immunity, let's get going and let's get back to life. And we can do it safely, not perfectly safely. There's no such thing. Get that out of your head that there's perfect safety. There isn't. It's, but, but way, is it more safe to cower in fear and miss your life than it is to take calculated risks within the parameters of what you and your family are willing to tolerate to keep as many people safe at the lowest, lowest cost you can? That's what we ought to be talking about. Um, Analytica, ask a doc anything live unless it doesn't conform with my dogma. This is clickbait. Since when is ask a doc anything live clickbait? Every time I've used that title, no one watches. Um, what dogma? Ask me. I'll tell you what I think. If that's dogma, then, I mean, I have, my name is the dog, so maybe it is dogma, I don't know. Uh, Sherry Armitage, because Hawaii is doing it right around mental health in our Arab community. Oh, I don't know if you're being sarcastic or true. I hope that's true, Sammy. Um, what do you make of, uh, what is this? Uh, hold on. 
University of Alabama said there should be full capacity for football in the fall. What are your thoughts, Luke Minoski? Um, I mean, it. I think it's likely, unless we're missing something with a new variant that we haven't seen that really resists the vaccine, which I think is not likely if we get this thing happening now. So I, I think it's fully possible. I think it's. I think we. I'd hope so. I'd hope so. I'd expect it. Um, God, wouldn't that be great? Man, it'd be great. Um, Kira Boyd, supporter on Facebook, says, I refuse to live my life in fear. Right. Man, I tell you, man, when I was on that Hawaii flight, there was a couple of millennials on there. They looked like probably, not even millennials, they might've even been Gen, Gen Z. They were young, like early, like 21, 22, 23, very young, right on the cusp of millennial. And um, they didn't, they did not, I mean, again, they could have had health problems that we didn't know, but they were wearing like, uh, like air, airplane goggles like you see on TV where they're flying with the freaking goggles. They had two masks and black latex gloves. They were a couple. And then they had a bunch of backpacking gear and stuff. So you know they were going for outdoor stuff. Maybe they're going to Kauai or something through connection. I don't know. But I was like, kids, kids, stop. This is crazy what you're doing. Unless I'm missing something in your personal history, like you have sickle cell disease. This is crazy. Um, you're living in fear, you know? Take off the goggles. Wear one mask. <laughs> Lose the gloves. If you got COVID, you'd probably be fine, just so you know. Again, you're like 40 times more likely to die in a car accident at that age than of COVID. Um, and you're right, Carlina Cole, snitches do get stitches. Carlina Cole is my new favorite troll, and it even rhymes. You can't look at my chart, Carlina Cole says. I don't wanna look at your effing chart. That's work for me. Um, oh, good, my wife's on her way home. Let me text her. I'm just gonna say, finishing a show, I better get, I better get home. Um, Ashley Stewart, even though I'm not wearing goggles or gloves, even though I'm not wearing goggles or gloves, I'm considering double masking, but I'm really not out that much right now. Um, I don't get the goggles and gloves. Yeah, and you know, the double masking is really only if you're high risk and in a spot where you can't, like the ventilation is bad for a long period of time. I think that's what Monica Gandhi was talking about, double double masking. Unless you're not uncomfortable wearing two masks. I, personally, I wouldn't do it. I, even before I was vaccinated, I you know I'm a single mask kind of guy, barely, just because um, I tend to distance pretty good because <laughs> I don't like people. <laughs> Um, Bill Usher, great question. Do masks work? Man, that's a complex, nuanced question that's very hard to actually test because all the studies you see, people will cherry pick studies to back whatever their political or emotional feeling is. So you can find plenty of data that says, oh, masks correlate with less um, admissions, less severe disease. Oh, but then you could also find data that says masks correlate with more deaths. But then what's correlation? What's causation? People are wearing masks because... There's a lot of community spread, you know? People auto-regulate their behavior. And then actually studying it requires these cluster randomized control trials, which we haven't done. So I don't know whether they work. I'll say this, based on first principles of science, they will reduce the inoculum of virus you receive in most cases. Do they actually improve outcomes for the public? I don't know the answer to that. Do I feel more comfortable wearing a mask in a closed place with a bunch of other people wearing masks? I do. So there's some psychological component. Um, and I do think like what Monica Gandhi has described in her research is that it does reduce inoculum. So 
less severe disease, which would be good. But again, that's still a hypothesis. So we don't know. So I'll say this, in hospitals they work, N95s work. Um, so the jury's out. Do I think uh, a mask mandates for people when they're indoors in public facilities are bad? No. Do I think mask mandates outdoors are bad? Yes. There's, where's the science for that? There's barely even a precautionary principle for that. I, I think that's crazy. Um, but you know, I comply with it. Um, <laughs> I'm not gonna read Rick's comments because it's too good. Um, Terry says, Texas 100% open. I'm a little worried, but excited too. What do you think? I, I talked about it a little earlier. I, I don't know. I think time will tell. I think it's a little, again, I think an extreme action. I don't know how extreme it is because he's just saying the state mandates are going away. You can just decide what to do. So it's more of the libertarian approach, which is let people decide. The problem is um, we kind of did that for a fair bit of the pandemic in some places and you see a lot of community spread. Are people willing to accept it? If they're willing to accept it, then hey. The key thing is, remember why we were bending the curve, to avoid overwhelming hospitals. Now, that didn't happen for a lot of the pandemic until this fall, and then you saw a lot of hospitals get overwhelmed, but even that was transient. And now we're back under levels that hospitals can handle. So in the end, it's really, this is, again, you have scientific information that evolves, you have questions that are outstanding, and then you have your values. So you have to apply a mix of all those things to policy that then determines what you're gonna do. Sarah Moore, another 19 bucks on YouTube. You know the only studies that support cloth masks are on mannequins, forcing people to wear cloth masks. Hmm. Well, look, Sarah, my instinct on cloth masks is not that they have this massive improvement in outcome, but I do think that they make something of a dent. Um, I like surgical masks. I think cloth masks in general are silly. Uh, I like surgical masks. In the absence of that, I like N95s. I wear just a surgical mask because I get them at the hospital and I wear them and you guys will hate me, but I wear the same surgical mask for like a week because I don't care. I'm not gonna get pneumonia from my own germs. And uh, I wash my hands compulsively because I'm OCD. So you can yell at me for being a wrong mask user. I also don't rub my eyes all day. Um, EMD... EDMD aware says, what's the threshold for herd immunity? Uh, that's the goal, isn't it? Not 100% vaccinated. No, it's not. And this is a controversial thing because we don't know and it depends on the variants. So if the variants are more contagious, the threshold goes up. If the variants are less contagious, the threshold goes down. Um, if there's already a bunch of existing immunity from natural infection, the threshold goes down. So I, I wouldn't even speculate. I have no idea what the actual threshold is. I know that we're gonna reach some variant version of it sooner than we think like by the end of the spring, early summer, I think, I think, um, and uh, so on. Linda Chatfield, what is wrong with cloth masks? Well, there's too much variation in cloth masks, Linda. So some of them are just a single ply bandana. They don't do anything to give you a false sense of security. And some of them are actually quite good. So it's really an education problem with cloth masks. And the reason we even said cloth masks is because there was a shortage of real PPE. What the government should have done is spun it up quickly and given everybody surgical masks, but we didn't do that. So, um, Daniel, who hit me with some pounds or euros, is it, uh, on YouTube says, Doc, what's your take on ambulance service paramedics and rapid development of that branch of healthcare? And when will we get an ambosexual song? 
I've been trying. Um, yeah, I don't know about an ambisexual song. I think that um, paramedicine is a burgeoning field that I think we have been ignoring at our peril. I think it is the first contact with people in their homes where you can detect things like abuse, bad, dangerous home situations, et cetera, and prevent hospitalization. So we ought to be really upscaling and allowing our paramedics to get the level of education where they can practice at the top of that and really do good at bending the whole cost curve and outcomes curve for medicine. So that that's my take on paramedicine. Um, Donna Allen, surgeons stop wearing cloth masks in the OR for a reason. Yeah, I mean, medical grade surgical masks are dope. Hey, Tracy Collins, steel case think chair. Nice, let me show you this chair. So, oh, shoot, sorry. This was a chair I got a few years ago for my office in Las Vegas when I was in Las Vegas. And uh, I used to have these cheap Costco chairs here in the studio and I noticed that the ergonomics was so bad. And my mouse is like right here and everything was just janky. I was getting like um, lateral epicondylitis and weird phenomenon. So I brought my steel case chair from home and sat it here. And ever since then, it's just been a couple of days. I've been like, this is so great. I, there's an armrest that you can adjust the height of, which is key. So you can put your arm on it when you're using the mouse. And um, it doesn't look that great, I guess, on camera, but who cares? I don't know, the color's not quite right. Um, you know, let's see here. Um, look at uh, Carlina Cook, so desperate for attention. She's speaking in all caps. Uh, Claire McAuliffe on Facebook says, I can't believe homebound seniors can't get the vaccine. My mom's 81 and can't sit in a wheelchair. A doctor that does house visits can't get his patient's vaccines. It's crazy. It's, that's nuts. And part of it is, I think, again, these refrigeration requirements can be weird. So maybe the J&J &J vaccine will be a lot better from that standpoint. George Ural on YouTube says, if someone has been fully vaccinated, is there a high risk of spreading COVID to those who are unvaccinated? Yeah, so we don't know the answer to this, but every first principle of previous vaccines and immunology says it's very much less likely than unvaccinated people spreading. So by being vaccinated, you have, you have a robust immune response, your viral loads are gonna be lower, is gonna be less spread. And as it is, most of the spread comes from these hyper emitters anyways. So I think that, you know, this idea that vaccines won't help stop the spread is insane. That's just fear-mongering lunacy. And it's hyper safetyism from public health people that take that tack. By the way, I wanna, I gotta say one thing. I did a show the other day about um, the good news of the pandemic and all the public health mistakes we've made. And a lot of public health people reached out to me very hurt that I kind of lumped everybody into one thing. Thank you, Leslie, for the 20 bucks on YouTube. Um, that I lumped all the public health officials into this like, you know, attention seeking um, drama queen sort of bucket. That was not my intent. When I, when I do those pieces, I'm in a flow state and I say what I say. Sometimes I'm not as clear as I should be. And what I meant to say is there are public health people on Twitter, mostly on social media and sometimes mainstream media that really love painting gloom and doom pictures and not looking at actually what we can do and instead saying what we can't do. Saying things like your social bubble is burst, don't go anywhere for Christmas, this kind of thing. Um, and that is not good public health, it's not harm reduction. But I had a few uh, public health people reach out and they were quite hurt. They were like, you know, you lumped us in, we've been having the hardest time, we're underfunded, everybody hates us. Like, I th we thought you were our, you know, champion and, you know, you're so science-based, all this. And I, and I was like, well, that, that, 
that's that's sad. I I I did feel quite bad about that because these are amazing doctors and and nurses and MPHs and you know and especially the ones that are like on the right side of harm reduction and so on. It's like no no, no I have no beef with you. I think you're fantastic. Um, it's those bad apples, and I wasn't clear enough in the video, so I, I that I regret. Um, notice I didn't say I apologize because I don't say I'm sorry, bitches, because I meant exactly what I said. I just wasn't clear enough. And I regret that because it might've hurt some people that I didn't want to hurt. Have to be very clear because it, you know, cancel culture. Mindy, dude, the trolls are whack. I feel you, girl. I like trolls. Um, all right, so this is the last one I'm gonna take. Brandon Sargent, because my wife is yelling at me, um, who super chatted me on YouTube. I love this YouTube thing. You guys are great. What uh, are some of the biggest takeaways, observations, and lessons about society you've learned in retrospect looking back on the pandemic? Okay, what a great question. All right, let's get intimate for a second here at ZPAC. Hopefully the focus works. All right, so you can see all my crow's feet. This pandemic has taught me something crucial, which is the social media algorithms that we've allowed to unfold, Facebook, YouTube, Google, Twitter, that reward division, misinformation, political polarization, have divided us to the point where a pandemic happens and we're divided over things we should not be divided over. The pandemic has taught us that our societal cohesion is so fragile because we no longer talk to each other in person we stare at a phone. We're addicted to social media, which rewards the worst kind of human behavior. We look at science as a political bludgeon. Have you followed the science? Like there's one answer? There's no one answer, science is a process. Can we talk about it rationally and lovingly with each other so that we can figure out where policy, emotion, politics, and science intersect? We come up with some strategy. and. That division has been, so now the family members are not talking to family members because of their stance on masks. Like loved ones are estranged from each other. Friends don't talk to each other. This is artificial. This is big tech companies hacking our source code, not intentionally, but with a revenue motive. And we need to change it. And part of the way to change that is you change how social media companies are paid and how creators are paid and how news people are paid. Right now they're paid to generate clicks through so that ads get viewed. That is the worst incentive for not generating clickbait headlines and garbage lies and something that has nuance. No one wants nuance. So they're gonna click through to the thing with the, the sexy chick in the avatar that says, this COVID solution will save your boobs. You know, it's like, well, wait, what? And um, we need to change it to something different. Like right now, my show is supported. Yeah, I put the ads on there because hey, if you're in the public and you're not a supporter of the show, you get to watch some ads. But I'm not gaming stuff through clickbait and trying to create division to get views because I have a supporter group that pays a small amount a month, five bucks or up, whatever they wanna support at, to have honest, authentic discussions with me and to hold me accountable. So I get plenty of messages from my supporters saying, I unsubscribe because you took this tact and I don't like it. 
And I'll respond and say, hey, I appreciate that. I'm sorry to lose you, but thanks for the feedback. Whereas the public can say anything to me. I'm like, fuck off. You have no skin in this game. You're just a troll. You're the wide open internet that I hate. But by changing how I'm paid, like I no longer care about sponsors. I don't care about clickbait ads. I care about being authentically me with you. And that grows my supporters, which pays all the bills. That's great. That's maybe one future for internet and social media. Micropayments or something like that. Who knows? But it ain't what we're doing now. So that's what this, and again, I take out of the pandemic the lesson for, from my standpoint. Like there's millions of lessons, but this is the biggest one. The other lesson is that science actually works. These vaccines, are you kidding? I'm like hella pro-science, I'm floored. I can't even believe what a great job was done here, you know? And that was a public-private partnership. It works. So, hey, you may hate the private sector, you may hate government, put them together, do it right, it works. There you go. All right, I love you guys so much. I really do. Even the trolls. They're trolls because somebody touched them in a bad way. I don't mean sexually. I mean reached out and abused them, bullied them, hurt them, and now the only thing they can do is write in all caps on some stranger's webpage, and it's, it's heartbreaking. And I think that's the biggest insult I can give to a troll. <laughs> it's not what's wrong with you. It's what happened to you. All right, guys, I love you. Uh, thanks for the stars, Scott Potritz. Um, thanks to everyone who gave me stars. I'll go through and like your comments afterwards and read your comments. Um, love you guys. Until next time, now I gotta figure out how to turn this 